That's how it starts. The fever, the rage, the feeling of powerlessness that turns good men cruel. Welcome, I'm Andrew Dice. And I am Stephen Colbert. And this is Batman v Superman by the Minute, a podcast rewatching Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice Ultimate Cut, one minute at a time. We have finally arrived at minute 60, one hour into the movie, perfectly fitting the, the scope. We have arrived halfway through a line of dialogue of, at best, a secondary character. <laughs> what a milestone. Wait, you're saying Wallace is at best a secondary character? Well, I mean, primary has to be, like, we're already kind of padding out the primary characters in this. Like, I would say even, like, Diana is a secondary character, which is insane, but kind of. Yeah, I guess true. If it, there's, It's a three-hour movie, so you've got some hierarchy going on. I mean, it's Scoot McNary. Like, you can't, you can't knock him. No, and he's in the middle of a very, uh, like, emotionally charged line. He only has... This might be, like, I think his second to last line in the movie. Yeah, well, and it's obviously, be like you said, it's not like he's got a ton of lines, but this moment, like, if you've seen Scoot McNary in anything or really follow him at all, you know when he delivers these lines that, like, this is the reason that he was cast. He made me half a man. My wife walked out on me. I can't even piss standing up. Let me face him. We get the payoff that he was saying his wife walked out on him. His life fell apart. He can't even, I'll say pee standing up for the <laughs> ears of our listeners. Uh -huh. uh, it's bleak. It, he speaks, like kind of to your point, he speaks with so much meaning to what he's saying that we don't even need a response from June or even a resolution to him saying it, you can understand, oh, he's absolutely going to get his wish, which is to face him. Right. To face Superman for doing this to him. And I guess we could say, like, I, I think I took a, from it that June sees in him kind of what she has been talking about. Mm -hmm. If in, like, in spirit, if not in literal, you know. Yeah, well, we know that she's been talking to Kahina. Um, is that her name right? I always have to double yep. check. Yeah, we know that he's been talking to, or she's been talking to Kahina, who kind of provides a part of that on like an international scale. And like secondary, once removed. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so for him to then show up in her office and say, not just that he, like he's got this story, but also that he wants to face him. And that's that's very much what she wants. And it's interesting because she doesn't, want to take him down so much as she just wants an understanding or a she wants the his role in the world to make sense yeah it does i mean it does i think i think it works like again you know a huge part of the plot isn't given to wallace but it is kind of like totemic of this is the kind of thing that superman should have to face and like especially this superman as far as we know he has not really felt like He's not tearing himself up over what happened in Africa. He was called to attention by Kahina, but it's not like he is taking personal guilt on, because even like the connection there is a little bit hazy. 
Mm-hmm. Here with June, it's like, oh no, this is direct. Like this guy, th- his life was changed for the worse because of all the stuff we wanted basically take Superman to task and make him answer for. Hey, what have we been talking about this whole time? Answer to this human being, you know, to their face. And then we have no choice but to start talking about what we're actually talking about here. Yeah, well, and it's also really interesting because it's not like there's a shortage of people with a story like his, right? You'd imagine, yeah. You mentioned in the last minute that Perry and... Jenny Olsen, Jenny Olsen. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you mentioned in the last minute that Perry and and Jenny Olsen w- were both there also, but they... You know, they kind of they witness Superman saving people, and also maybe they suspect or know who he is. Also, that's not that not made super clear. I think yeah. we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute or in um later in this minute. Also, we did get that one moment: the love affair with Man in the Sky over question mark, and Jenny seemed hesitant. Yeah, exactly. And so you know that they they saw Superman saving people, and you know that there is positive coverage of him. So the fact that this that him coming forward is a big deal to to June. I think is an in- indicator, kind of, of how humanity does see Superman. I don't, we we get the, the deifying and all that that we already had in here, but um, I think the way the mankind sees Superman is kind of a big a big point of focus in here. And I think this is very revealing on a larger scale. That yes, we know there were a lot of people died and were hurt, but even the victims of Metropolis aren't like filing a class action suit against Superman or anything. This seems to be other than Kahina, the only person that's even really coming forward. Even if this is us doing it more than this particular minute, it, it is like a a clear delineation between two things that we're talking about here. Like one of them is you might say that Jenny and Perry had this brush with disaster, but had a support system of friends and loved ones and the feeling of shared trauma that has allowed mm-hmm. them to move forward. Whereas someone who doesn't have that, like a Wallace Keefe, perhaps another Metropolis present billionaire when this went down, <laughs> to totally condense everything about this into Superman. Superman did it. That's a, not a healthy way to, to move beyond it, but at least... For Bruce and for Wallace, I think we can both see that it makes sense that they would. And I'll talk about this. I think this this dovetails really nicely into the next line. The the whole theme that keeps on coming up that is voiced by Alfred about um, that we hear at the beginning of every single episode, the fever, the rage that turns yeah. good men cruel. Um, or specifically start a second before that, it's the um, that feel, the feeling of powerlessness and the sort of cruelty that is born of that. And the thing that I always found interesting about this part right here is where he says, I can't even piss standing up, which I kind of took at, at face value when um, when the movie came out for, you know, because it's not that, well, that complicated of a line. But just because people are so weird about all of this, I remember I was talking to someone on Twitter, um, and I try not to bring Twitter arguments about this movie out of the podcast too often because that's just insane. But um, I remember somebody picking apart that line like it was stupid. Like, why bring that up or whatever? Or it was immature. Or, I, or why does he even care? Why is that like a thing that he's angry about? First of all, that's 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 like a, a thing. Like his life, like that's, that's a, a mundane thing about his life that is fundamentally changed 
forever. There is a there is a, a yeah masculine aspect to it that you can only stand to pee if you have a penis, right? Mm. And, well, not only. Well, there, there are ways. But... I assume Lois does. <laughs> she just has that energy about her. Yeah. And so the so the fact that he would voice that as a um, he made me half a man. I can't piss standing up. That is, it's not just that he's like lost his legs, but he's lost his identity. He's lost his his manliness, um, yep. his ability to work, his ability to provide, his ability to, um, but all of the things that make him a man um, yeah. through his lens of what it means to be a man has been removed. And that all plays into that that feeling of powerlessness and loss and alienation that drives someone to become like him. Or, if you have billions of dollars, drives <laughs> you to become Batman. I think it's worth saying they both have found the a way of coping, which is not coping, but like fixating. We're eventually shown, and I think probably at this point we now understand that they are. it's both because Lex has been stoking that fire. That all works to his mission, which is to condense into these guys the conversations that we talked in recent minutes about what what's happening. Like, if I'm talking about taking all of this crap that they have and projecting it onto Superman, they're just doing in a personal way what the news, you know, the, that whole news segment was talking about people doing in a totally... uh like a way of even wrestling with what this means. Like we're just doing that natu- naturally. Maybe he is just a guy. Like maybe, maybe yeah. you know, he isn't the embodiment of all your pain and, and, you know. Well, and what's crazy about that is that you throw Lex into the mix using guys like Bruce and guys like Wallace as his weapons against Superman. And you think about like someone like Wallace, he knew Wallace wasn't going to kill him. He wasn't using Wallace as a weapon against Superman in a in a lethal way, although in the original script he was Metallo, and the wheelchair would have been like had kryptonite in it or or something, and so they they played that way down. So instead of having a um, instead of setting that up as a as a villain, he set him up as a um a more of a political or like he plays into the into Lex's machinations more. And it's really interesting that Lex knows to choose men who react that way to loss and i think it's because they both bruce and wallace reacted that way um out of a sense of masculinity totally bruce that way because because of his um because of his dad wallace doesn't talk about his dad but you know I, i most people's masculine ideal comes from their dad whereas lex he talks about keeping things you know exactly like his father did or he talks about how like he he does a lot of talking about more than anybody else about his dad, but you know that he doesn't want to be anything like his dad. Um, so it's also so it's really interesting that he would be able to spot those people that have that that flaw that can be by by pushing the buttons of loss um, will drive them into this this need to reclaim their manliness in order to feel whole again. Yeah, the the English major in me loves the idea of like a big burly man of action and like a crippled man as equal weapons against superman like one attacking his body and the other attacking like the idea the heart yeah (laughs) (laughs) the heart harry (laughs) yeah yeah so as we said where there's no need for june to even respond 
and we move from this plot of Lex that has come out of the prison. We go back into the prison to see what is happening, and what is happening is KG Beast is instructing an inmate to kill Caesar Santos. I know that we should call out that these appear to be like two Zack Snyder, <laughs> I guess the Zack Snyder equivalent of stunt casting, which is like calling up C.T. Fletcher, who is a power lifter and like <laughs> motivational speaker to be the killer, and uh, Green Bay Packer, Hall of Famer, Amon Green, to be the one that passes him the shiv with a hand in front of his face. So there's, it's almost impossible to imagine anyone would recognize him. Yeah, it's it's really interesting how he, the celebrity cameo, that's that's not like a he, he does it very differently. <laughs> like there's not like a. It's getting to be a part of it, not not yeah, yeah. not calling them out. Um, I don't I I don't have a whole bunch else to say about this minute this is i think the the thing that locked into place in this ultimate cut is uh oh the whole inmates with the bat brand are being killed yeah and this is making batman look like judge jury and executioner well in fact it probably is lex taking advantage of this to make it so that these people are killed and then none of the blame falls on him it all falls on the batman it's one of those moments that's weird that it's cut from the theatrical because without this moment, you still have the Bat brand and you still know because of Batman, people are are dying in prison, basically. I don't think Batman takes a whole lot of remorse in that, kind of as we talked about a few minutes ago. But what this minute changes that I don't think there's anything indicating in the in the theatrical cut is that Lex is the one that is having them killed. Um, or maybe that was happening anyway. You know, it he's happened. just making sure. That's a, a thing that's a trend. And, you know, rapists and, and sex traffickers and pe- bad things happen to them in prison in general. And so it's, you know, highly possible that that was kind of a trend that already existed because of the Bat brand. And Lex is just using it as a smokescreen. Um, but at least in this case, for sure, he's taking advantage of that in a way that is going to. Um, once again, in the it's it's a mirror of what he was doing with what he's doing with uh with Wallace, right? He's serving yeah. Wallace up to point Batman to Superman, and he's serving up Caesar to point Superman to Batman. Like it's actually a very cruelly clever scheme that Lex has has come to here, and I really appreciate that it goes from this person being murdered to literally another character washing their hands. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and yeah, they might as well be Lex's hands, but exactly. Well, and it's um and it's Swanwick who kind of is trying to keep his, himself out of it. Did you want to wait until the next minute to talk about Swanwick cuz I feel like Yeah, I think there's a lot more to scene. talk about him that we'll want to unpack. Um yeah. we'll want to unpack in the next minute, but I do like the calling attention to that in the transition though that while the whole purpose of of both Wallace, this entire minute, the whole purpose of that is to assign blame. Wallace assigning blame to Superman, Caesar assigning blame to to Batman, and then to have it end with um, with the hand washing from somebody who could probably close the loop on who's pulling the strings, but for political reasons, uh, what's the what's the Charlie Rose? <laughs> oh, would prefer not to. Yeah, but for political reasons, would would prefer not to. <laughs> And and on top of that, like it's a segue to the one character who is actually on Telex, even though nobody knows it yet. 
well, yeah, when you break this all down and how it all relates back to Lex, this is one of those minutes where there's some intricate plotting going on here non-verbally. I mean, for the amount of dialogue that's in that minute, there's there's three major players, right? Superman, Lex, and um, and Batman. And then you've got the Wallace, Caesar, Lois interchange all right there. Minute 60. It's a milestone. It's only fitting in what we've been talking about that we finally spend an entire minute talking about Lex scheming hands-on. Yeah. Lex scheming like hands-off. And then now... Lex caught red-handed. Until next time. I was going to say green-handed, but I guess that's not Lex. Green, oh. It's Martian Manhunter, everybody. The red capes are coming. The red capes are coming. Hmm. One if I land. Hmm. Two if by air. Hmm.